What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 276 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow along on our social pages on uh, Facebook and X, formerly Twitter. Uh, great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, know the schedule, you know, as I said a couple weeks ago, the schedule for uh, the next couple weeks is kind of going to be all over the place, uh, but want to thank you for, uh, you know, bearing with us. Um, all good things, you know, just had a vacation, uh, going to visit the younger brother this weekend at Clemson, um, and then I have weddings to go to, so it's all good stuff. So that's uh, just the things that I have going on the next couple of weeks, so um, that's why this week's schedule is a little weird. Uh, obviously today, you know, doing the typical episode, but I guess Friday we had to move from last week uh, to Tuesday to accommodate our guest. Um, and so we're putting that out tomorrow uh, because I will be uh, away and traveling uh, the rest of the week. So I wanted to put that out for you folks. Uh, I think our Bruins fans in particular are really going to enjoy um, our guest. So that will be out sometime tomorrow. And then I will be back uh, early next week. We'll probably record uh, next Tuesday uh, for the program, and then the schedule will be a little bit back to normal until I have my uh, my weddings the weekend of the 6th. That uh, may not have a guest Friday that week, but we are uh, here to talk about uh, this week's episode. There's a lot to get to, uh, believe it or not. You know, there's Patriots, there's plenty of, you know, shakeups with a couple teams, a couple local teams. We have a team that's getting ready for training camp. So uh, it's going to be a lot for today's episode. So uh, we're going to get right into it and uh, talk Patriots. So uh, unfortunately, it seems like another disappointing finish uh, for the Patriots last night in uh, week two against the Dolphins. You know, and I think the the, the refrain is, I think, it's the same thing as last year. You know, it's the same thing as the first week. And while certain things may feel different, certain things may look different, you know, the end result is still the same. And, you know, I think it's, <laughs> it's probably going to be a lot of what we talked about last week, that a bad start and a bad start, you know, isn't just a bad quarter. You know, the bad start was pretty much three quarters of this game. And the Patriots go into the fourth down 17 to 3, try to come back, you know, make it 17 to 10, make it 24 to 17. You know, had a last gasp attempt, you know, with the lateral from Gasicki to Cole Strange, who may or may not have, you know, gotten enough for the first down. I Looking at that, I felt like he was short, but, you know, who knows? Um, but it just is, if that is what you're relying on to, you know, win a game or try to maintain staying in the game, you know, you know that there's something wrong. And I think, you know, it was another bad start for the offense where nothing was really working. You know, the Patriots really couldn't push the ball down the field, you know, really couldn't run the ball effectively. You know, they really weren't able to do any of these things effectively. 
until they were behind, you know, until they were behind and, you know, pretty much out of the game, you know, and it just seems annoying that this is a team that once they start to get down, that's when they start to kind of put it together and figure things out and kind of get going. And it's almost like, okay, where is this energy at the beginning of games? You know, when you really need it, when you really cannot afford to start games poorly, you know, and you're going, you're playing with fire when you play that way. And it doesn't matter who you play, you know, it could be, it could be the Arizona Cardinals. It could be the Eagles. Like it can be any team and you give a team like, and you give a team, you know, runway to be able to build a lead. It's like, you're probably not going to win most games. And it really doesn't matter who you play. And so I think it's just the frustrating part is they can't get their act together until it's too late. And then they try to push and, you know, pull it out at the last second. And I think, you know, it just is ironic that you, you know, celebrated Tom Brady last week in your first two games are games that if Brady was on your team, you probably pull those games out. You know, and I'm not saying that, oh, it's okay to start like that. It's not, but it's like, I think again, you know, as we talked about last week, I think this game is played in the margins. This game is won and lost in the margins, in the little mistakes that you make. And, you know, it's, I think being in those late game situations and almost knowing when Tom Brady was there, knowing that they were going to come back and win and being shocked at times that they didn't, you know, I think is now ingrained into everyone's brain that, okay, you have the ball and have a chance to tie the game. You're going to do it. And anything else is, you know, a shock to the system. But I think that's just kind of how it goes. And I know that talking in that way kind of makes it sound like, you know, there's nothing that you can do. There absolutely is. You know, you can start better. You can start faster. You know, I think I am probably in a large majority of people that would like to see them go no huddle and start the game that way rather than kind of easing into the game like they did last night and the week before. You know, I think that that's when you're at your best. And I think, you know, it was a frustrating game because the Patriots really couldn't do anything down the field. You know, they tried a couple times to push it down the field, but it just never really worked. And I think, you know, that's kind of an area where you miss Tyquan Thornton, you miss his speed. And I know that, yes, he's not this amazing all-pro receiver, but giving you some type of speed element, you know, over the top, I think is something that they're missing on offense. And I think, you know, again, with the bad starts, it's just the you know, good plays followed by horrific mistakes, you know, whether it's an offensive lineman missing a block and a play gets blown up in the backfield or a lineman misses a block and you get sacked, you know, a bad throw by Mac Jones, which you saw a couple of those last night. I think, you know, just having better awareness, you know, I think it's, it's hard to come down on DeMario Douglas for that fumble in the first half last night because I think he makes the reception 
runs, you know, sees an opening to get some more yardage, doesn't see Bradley Bradley Chubb bearing down on him. And I think scenario like that, it's almost impossible to hang on to the ball. But at the end of the day, like, the ball security has to be better. And you have lost the first two games, I think, due in large part to the turnovers. And so I think, I know that there's a lot of, you know, conversation about, okay, Douglas has been one of your good playmakers the first two weeks. Why is he sitting on the bench? Well, he's sitting on the bench because, you know, you can't have ball security issues. This is an offense that cannot afford to have those types of mistakes, and they're losing games because of it. And so it's like, yes, on one hand, he's a good player, made a mistake, and that's understandable. But at the same time, like, I don't want to say, like, oh, there have to be consequences, but it's like, you're losing games because of the turnovers. You know, like, at a certain point, there has to be a, not a message sent, I don't want to make it sound bad, but it's like, that's why you're losing games. You know, so, and and it's not like he's the only guy that is capable of making plays. You have other capable receivers, and it just is frustrating that it seems like with this team in particular, last couple of years, it's always, you know, you're right there at the end, can't make that final play, or it's, you know, an amazing play or a great play defensively or on special teams, and the offense can't capitalize. Nothing was more obvious than, you know, Patriots down 17-3 late in the third quarter. Brendan Schooler makes one of the most ridiculous plays I've ever seen on a football field, you know, comes in motion from the sideline or like from, from the side of the field and blocks the kick. I've never seen anything like that. I actually initially was upset because I thought he had ran onto the field late and was off sides. And so I was like, oh my God, come on, they're going to get called for a five-yard penalty. And, you know, he made the play and made the play look ridiculously easy. And I bet a lot of, a lot of people are going to try to emulate that play. But, you know, there's an example right there. He made a great play, got the crowd back into the game. He got the team excited. You know, Patriots go down the field, throw a pick in the red zone. And it's just, it seems like it's an all too familiar thing where you make some great plays, you make some outstanding plays, you string together some momentum building plays, and then it's over, you know? And I think... The decision-making has to be better all around. You know, whether it's Mac Jones recognizing that, okay, Devontae Parker's got one-on-one with Xavier Howard. He's one of the best corners in the league. You know, you had just picked up a first down. You know, really was not a lot of need to go to that play. And I don't know, maybe that's on Bill O'Brien for, you know, trying to make a play when, you know, you had issues all night long going down the field. And it was like, sure, the short, short passes weren't exactly, you know, dominating. But it's like you kind of go back to what was working and they tried to do something different and, you know, it screwed them. And I think, look, I think Mac Jones does deserve credit and the offense does deserve credit for working their way back into the game. But it's like at this point... There's really no room to be encouraged by that. They can't keep doing this. 
because it's like we've been seen that or it's it's been shown that they can't really come back and they can't really make those big plays at the end and so it's like okay well the energy and effort and the execution needs to be better so you don't fall behind you know and I don't think that this is a team that is incapable of coming back in games, but they've yet to show it, you know? And I think until the offense shows that they can do that, that they can make those final big plays that can get you back in games and can win games, you know, they can't, they can't play this way, you know? And I think, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's execution. I think it is. I don't really think it has much to do with the talent level. I think that they have a good team and they have a talented team and they have a better roster than people think. But it's like the execution can't be bad at times. You know, they cannot afford to have these back-breaking errors. You know, and whether it's the fumble, whether it's the interception, whether it's, you know poor blocking, poor communication, I mean, drop passes, things like that. It's just, it can't happen, you know, because you're going to lose teams or you're going to lose to teams that aren't good if you're building yourself holes. You're building yourself into a hole. And I think, you know, moving forward, you know, they have to start on time. They have to start better. And, you know, I just, it kind of stinks because, you know, this was a game that I was hoping the Patriots would get back on track and would have a better offensive game. And you know what? Credit credit to the Dolphins' defense. Their defensive line had a really good game. The Patriots really couldn't run the ball again. You know, I know Stevenson had 50 yards and a touchdown, which is better than week one, but I do think that this is a team that, to get themselves going, the running game needs to be better established. This is a team that when their running game is working and working the way it should, it's a good offense. And the first two weeks, the running game really hasn't been able to do anything. You know, and I don't know whether it's the offensive line combinations that's that are totally different. You know, you had two guys in Strange and Owen who they great they got back into the lineup last night, but They've barely practiced all all summer, you know, and that's a line group that hadn't played together. And so it just kind of stinks that, you know, the health of the offensive line, which I think was highlighted as a potential issue, you know, is an issue. And I think, sure, they're capable of getting better and getting healthier because there's 15 more games. There's a lot of football, and there are a couple teams like the Patriots that I think are playoff teams or teams that have playoff aspirations that are also 0-2. So it's not like this is dire, but it's like you have to win next week. It's a must-win game. I almost said that this week was a must-win game. You know, it's obviously not. You know, 0-2 is not a death sentence. But it's like 0-3 is a death sentence, in my opinion. I don't think there's really any coming back from 0-3. So I do have confidence the Patriots can pull it out against the Jets. 
you know, nothing that the Jets did yesterday offensively really kind of, you know, gave me a bad feeling like, oh, the Patriots are going to struggle to stop them. Granted, the Cowboys defense has had a good year and they dominated that game yesterday. But, you know, I think defensively, the Patriots really did fine in this game. You know, yes, Tua had some, you know, good stretches of play. And I think it's always an issue when he can get the ball out quickly. But for the most part, the Patriots did a pretty good job defending the pass, you know, defending Tyree Kill. And I think without Jonathan Jones, you know, it was, you know, fairly successful. The run game was a different story. You know, Raheem Mostert had a monster game. Patriots really had trouble stopping the run. Um, but I think you know, holding Tyree Kill to five receptions for 40 yards, had a touchdown, yes, but, you know, they did a pretty good job, and I think, you know, credit to Tua, he did do a good job of kind of taking what the defense gave him. I don't really have confidence in Zach Wilson that he's going to be able to figure out the Patriots' defense, Um, and so I think there's confidence there that I think the Patriots' defense can do a good job, you know, getting pressure, Um, You know, I think defending the run, that's going to be potentially an issue. You know, Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall are both pretty good running backs with the Jets. But, you know, I think with this team, it starts and ends with the offense. You know, we know what the defense is going to be. We know that the defense is pretty solid and is going to keep you in games. You know, I think the special teams are going to do a good job of keeping you in games, maybe even helping you win some games this year. But it's the offense, you know, the execution, you know, needs to be better. And I know that the Jets, yes, have an elite defense and have a very good defense. And I think, you know, the Patriots are going to have to, you know, do the best they can at taking control, taking care of the ball. Because that's the biggest thing. As the biggest, most simplest thing for this team is to take care of the football. Haven't been able to do it the first two weeks and, big, big part of the reason why they're 0-2. You know, I think, you know, hopefully it's a week, another week that the offensive line can get to gel. You know, hopefully we have a pretty good idea of what the line's going to look like. You know, it's it stinks with Trent Brown's and Trent Brown and his concussion because you really don't know, you know, what his availability is going to be. But you know, that's the one hope that I have, that the Patriots can get a line grouping together. They can run the ball effectively so that, you know, it's not a no-run game type of game. You have to be passing it a bunch of times. Easier said than done against the Jets' defense because it's one of the best in the league. But I think given it's Zach Wilson and the Patriots defensively, I don't think I've given you any reason to think you know, they are, like, not a good group. Like, they're still a good group. Still a very, very strong group. And I think, you know, you should be able to beat Zach Wilson. Um, I don't really have much confidence in him being able to, you know, outsmart the Patriots. But, you know, Mac Jones against that Jets defense, you know, it may be just as difficult. You know, Mac was sacked four times last night and, 
you know, the line, I think, struggled a little bit more than it did week one. And so I think, you know, yeah, the Jets have a lot of guys that can come after you. But I think it's all about just being smart with the ball. And it's just, I wish it was more complex than that, but it's really not with this team. Like, it's really not. I think that, yes, you're going to have some games where you struggle against the pass, struggle against the run. But, you know, this is a game that, despite the Patriots having their their issues offensively, only 288 total yards, you know, had the ball in attacking territory with a chance to tie the game. They're in these games. They just need to be able to push over kind of that final hurdle to be able to kind of win these games coming back. But I think you have to be able to start better. You just have to. You know, there's really no excuse for, you know, falling behind in these games, trying to work your way back. And look, it's admirable. You know, I think that Mac Jones, after falling behind, was admirable in trying to get the team back in the game, making some plays with his legs. You know, there were some plays that he made, you know, running outside the pocket, throws in the run, that I was kind of impressed with. Those aren't plays that he's making last year. And so I think they just have to be able to work out ways to be better starting games. You know, whether it's, you know, starting faster in terms of running no huddle and things like that, trying to keep the defense from substituting and things like that. You know, I think having better line health being able to run the ball with more efficiency, you know, I think is going to be huge because I think if you run the run the ball well, it keeps defenses honest. You can run play action. You can run, you know, option plays. The Patriots really have not been able to run a lot of play action and things like that because they've not been able to run the ball effectively. So, you know, you hope that that can change. It just is... It's, it's daunting when you start the season 0-2 and, and then you're going to go and play two of the best defenses in the league the next two weeks in the Jets and the Cowboys, both on the road. And so it's like you have to take advantage of games that you have an advantage at the quarterback spot. And I think that it's clear that you have an advantage this week against the Jets. But I think... You know, you really don't want to find out what happens if you lose this game. And it stinks to have a week three game where you're probably still working through things. It stinks to have a week three game that's a must-win game. And a game that you really have to have. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not great because anything can happen on any given Sunday in the NFL. We all think that Zach Wilson isn't a good quarterback, but it's like, who knows? He could have a crazy good game, you know? The Patriots defense could have an off day, you know, things like that happen. And so it's just, it's asking a lot to kind of go into this game on the road to be like, okay, you have to win this game, you know? So, but it's kind of just what it feels like. I think the Patriots will win. I think it'll be low scoring. I think it'll be like, 17 to 10, but I just think 
I don't think the Jets quarterback uh, situation is in a good spot. And I think the Patriots will be able to take advantage of that, win the turnover battle. I think Patriots do enough to win this game. I think it's going to be kind of a fairly ugly game, you know, similar to that 10-3 game we played against the Jets last season when Marcus Jones returned the kick. Um, it was tough to see him go down with an injury. Kind of not sure about his availability. John Jones obviously wasn't available last night, but the Patriots kind of did a decent job on Tyreek Hill. You know, Christian Gonzalez got his first career interception. Um, I think, honestly, secondary did about as well as you could expect with a guy like Tua, who really doesn't give the defensive line much of a chance to get pressure. Um, but I think, you know, end of the day, it's better starts. You need to have better starts. You need to have better starts. You cannot turn the ball over. Those are the two things. You know, you do both of those things well, you're probably going to win most games if you don't start awful and you win the turnover battle. Doesn't really sound that complicated, but, you know, it's, it's, it's tough with this team. So I think we're going to move on, talk a little uh, Red Sox here. Patriots will uh, obviously go on the road, play the Jets Sunday, 1 o'clock on CBS. Patriots will try for their first win of the season. We'll talk more NFL later in the show and move on to some Red Sox. And obviously, not a whole lot to talk about with the team on the field that's now fallen into last place with uh, 12 games to go on this season. You know, sweep, getting swept by Toronto after losing uh, three out of four to the Yankees. You know, really not much to talk about with this team on the field. You know, I think Rafaela is getting into some games, which is good to see. You know, Willier Abreu is getting into some games. Um, but I think it's kind of just waiting for the season to, to, to be over. Uh, Tristan Casas on the injured list with a uh, shoulder Patriot uh, Red Sox recall. Bobby Dahlbeck is getting into some games, but, you know, not really too much to watch for with this team. Rafael Devers seems to be hitting well toward the end of the season, may have an outside chance at uh, 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, which will probably be able to hit both of those. Red Sox are in uh, Texas to play the Rangers for a couple of games this week. But Casas on the injured list, probably a good chance that he doesn't return the rest of the season. You know, I think it might just be pointless at that point. You know, if he has a shoulder injury, don't want to, um, you know, re-aggravate it. So that's kind of where the team is at, you know, two games behind the Yankees. Red Sox are now in last um, in the American League East at 74 and 76. couple of walk-off losses the last two games. Uh, Corey Kluber, it was announced, will not pitch again for the Red Sox this season. It was put on the injured list earlier in the season. Has tried to work his way back, but it sounds like he will be done. Probably won't be back for the team next season, although I can't. I think it was just a one-year deal for him. Um, but obviously, the big news off the field is uh, the Red Sox firing Bloom as uh, president of baseball operations and um, or chief base baseball officer. 
sorry, I couldn't remember what the official term was, but, um, you know, obviously that was the announcement earlier this week. Um, and I think, you know, maybe a surprise to some people, maybe not a surprise to some people. Um, but I think my kind of official thoughts on this probably won't surprise too many people, but, you know, I don't really think that he was really ever given the full ability to do what he wanted with the baseball team. You know, I think kind of was brought here being as, you know, being brought here to be like, okay, you're being brought here with the sole idea, whole sole purpose that you have to trade Mookie Betts. And I don't think that that was ever his decision. I think it purely an ownership thing that he's brought in and say, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to trade this player. You have to get under the luxury tax. You have to rebuild the farm system and you have to build a contender. And it's just like not really possible to do those three things. I think the Red Sox sure, you know, made a surprise um, ALCS birth in 2021 couple wins from the World Series. But outside of that, it's really not been, not been much to write home about with this team. And I think I'm not putting all the blame on ownership. You know, Bloom has definitely made some decisions that haven't worked out, you know, whether they're free agent decisions, decisions to where to put guys on the field and things like that. He's not been perfect. He's made his fair share of mistakes, but I also think did some things well, you know, was able to rebuild the farm system and rebuild a system that I think has a lot of really good potential players and guys that could be a part of the next wave with the Red Sox. And some of those guys are already here. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's kind of too bad because I think personally, I probably would have given him another year just to see what he could do, you know, give someone five years. But I think clearly the Red Sox probably not pleased with being in last again and kind of, you know, being kind of an afterthought in the Boston sports uh, scene. You know, I think it's a, like I think the performance over the last couple of years, you know, really since the World Series win in 2018, people aren't really interested in the Red Sox anymore. And I think I think as much as I don't think ownership cares about winning that much. I think they do care about this team being irrelevant. And I think that's kind of what it was bordering on over the last couple of years. And I think they may have just thought enough was enough, but it's like they kind of made this bed to be perfectly honest. So, you know, I don't really have any sympathy for ownership because I think, you know, they brought someone here to just do exactly what they wanted to do. And they turn around and say, well, it's your fault. The team is bad. So it's like, I don't, I don't really know how that works, but, you know, I think it's, it's too bad because I think, again, he was never really put in a position to succeed. You know, what kind of position is that to be brought in and then say, you have to trade like one of the most popular players in the history of the franchise. And that's not a joke. Like Mookie Betts is one of the most popular Red Sox players ever. And it's like, they bring someone in and say, okay, you have to trade this guy. And obviously, I don't really blame Bloom for that trade. 
could he have gotten more in the trade? Probably, you know, but it's just, I think that the Betts thing obviously started off in a bad place with Red Sox fans, and then whatever happened with Bogarts, you know, was an issue, and I think, you know, not really being able to hit on a lot of, like, free agent and, like, trades, there were some, you know, that I think that there were some things that worked out. It was kind of, you know, they were hit or miss guys. You know, I think certainly there are guys that were terrible and guys that were just, you know, bad additions and didn't do well. You know, Masataka Yoshida, I think, was a good signing. You know, I think there were other good things that he did. You know, some of the trades, but it's just... I just, I just am of the opinion that I don't think he was really given the ability to really kind of do what he wanted to do. And I think that he's a smart person. I think that, you know, the Red Sox might be painting him in a bad light. And sure, you could say something about the trade deadlines over the last two years that maybe they didn't, you know, take a full stance, you know, that maybe they should have sold everything off last year instead of hanging on to J.D. Martinez and some of those guys that could have been traded. You know, I don't think it was worth buying into this team in 2023, but some people maybe thought otherwise, you know. So I think it's kind of a lot of mixed feelings with this, but I think it's just going to be interesting to see who is that next person that takes over, you know, because I think Bloom did a great job at rebuilding the farm system. I think that that's probably the best thing that he did. And so it's like, I really hope that whoever they bring in is not going to be someone that goes full Dombrowski and just, you know, puts the farm system back to where it was five years ago, you know, just for the sake of trying to put together a winning team. You know, that I don't think is going to work. You know, I think that it's, it's someone that needs to be, I think, a little bit more aggressive in terms of addressing certain positions, you know, addressing the starting pitching and things like that, um, you know, but someone that's going to empower the younger guys to be able to kind of take those next steps. Um, and I think that a couple of those guys have already taken those steps, you know, with Casas and Bayo, you know, and even Rafaela, who's played a short little stint in the major leagues. And so I think it's, you know, how are they going to work with those next up and coming guys? You know, Nick York, Kyle Teal, Marcelo Mayer, you know, all three of those kind of younger guys that I think are probably going to be here in Boston sooner than some people think. Uh, and so I think it just will be interesting to see how they approach bringing in whoever that next person is, whether it's Mike Hazen, I think the Diamondbacks, someone involved in the Diamondbacks front office, he might be their general manager, I think was... Uh, used to be in the Red Sox front office, so he's someone that they could possibly bring in. Do they bring in someone in-house? You know, who the heck knows? I really don't know about the different people they could bring in. But I think someone of the philosophy that they are going to actually spend some money to try to improve the pitching staff, you know, and try to kind of settle down certain positions and kind of give a legitimate idea about certain positions and said, okay, this guy is going to be this guy, you know, and I know that it's hard with some of the younger guys because 
maybe you can't pinpoint exactly what they are yet, but this is a team that I think has the outline or the building blocks to be a really good team. It's just the moves that they make this offseason have to make sense and have to be able to, you know, put this team back into contending status. This doesn't mean that they need someone to go out and spend, you know, $500 million on Shohei Otani. That doesn't, you know, necessarily, that's not necessarily what I think everyone wants, but I think people want them to be able to spend money the way that the Red Sox should, you know, and try to bring in some, some big quality talent guys so this team can get back into contention. I don't think it's crazy to think this team could get back into contention next year, but just the moves have to be nailed. And I think there really needs to be an honest assessment and evaluation of this team and the players on this team. And I think not being afraid to make some big moves to try to improve this team, and whether that means trying to trade Chris Sale, I really wouldn't be surprised. I think that it probably would be the right move, you know, either that or, you know, put him into a situation where he's not being relied upon to be a top of the rotation starter or even a starter. You know, could he be a late inning reliever? I think he would actually be really good at that. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see the next couple of weeks um, and into the offseason, you know, who is brought in to help kind of fix this team. But it's just... I don't want to sound, you know, doom and gloom and negative, but I don't know, is this new person going to be able to do what they would like to do with the team? Are they going to be able to spend money the way that they would want to without, you know, ownership barging in and being like, okay, we're not doing that. You know, it's like, can someone who comes here be allowed to do their job is kind of just what I would say. And I just... I just think with with ownership having all these other investments that are, you know, part of FSG, um, Fenway Sports Group, Liverpool, the Penguins, you know, whatever else they're doing, it's like, I just would like for them to care about the team that they own, you know, and not care about all these money-making opportunities that no one really cares about, to be honest, and I understand that from a business perspective, you know, it makes sense, but it's just like, can we care about the baseball team? Can we let, you know, a person run the baseball team the way that they like want to and not be like, oh, you can't pay or like you have to trade this guy. You know, we're not going to pay this guy. It's just like, can we let people do their jobs? I don't know. So, and I've probably said this before, but I think Nothing's really going to change with this team unless the team gets sold, you know, unless there's new ownership, because I just, I don't really have any confidence in, you know, ownership's ability to kind of step aside and let whoever is running the baseball team actually run the baseball team. So, you know, kind of just what I think, you know, 12 games to go for this team the rest of the way, you know, I'd don't really think it's worth paying attention to, you know, unless you're watching some of the younger guys, Abreu, Rafaela, you know, and kind of just see how they do the rest of the year so they can, you know, be in a good spot once spring training rolls around. 
um, in February. You know, how can they build off of that? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what it is with the Sox. Um, 12 games left. Red Sox start a three-game set in Texas tonight against the Rangers. Red Sox maybe trying to play spoiler, although they've not been playing good baseball against any good teams recently. Um, and it's kind of been a, a free fall for this team um, since that uh, Yankee series over the weekend or during the week last week. So that is it. We're going to move on to a little Bruins with our guest. We're probably going to be talking quite a bit about the Bruins. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about the Bees, but obviously uh, training camp gets underway on Wednesday. Bruins prospect challenges uh, finishing up today. Bruins are actually playing against the Devils prospects as we speak. Uh, so it's been kind of a interesting thing to follow along with, with uh, some certain guys putting in some goals um, in some of the games. Trevor Quintar scored yesterday, Luke Toporowski, and uh, Brett Harrison scored twice over the weekend in a win against the Penguins. So, you know, Bruins youngsters, some of the guys getting an opportunity um, in this prospect challenge, which is a really kind of a neat thing that they've been doing the last couple of years. Um, so that wraps up this morning. Bruins and Devils will wrap up. And then, you know, Wednesday training camp open, opens. There'll be some um, off-ice testing. I knew the, I know the captain's practices um, are still going on. Don't know who the captain is going to be, although I think that announcement will be coming soon, according to Jim Montgomery. Um, that, you know, said over the weekend that they are trending towards having a captain, but there's no uh, timetable yet on who will be uh, that next guy. You know, I think pretty good chance it's Brad Marchand. You know, I could see it being him. I could see it being uh, Charlie McAvoy. You know, those are kind of the two names that I think would make the most sense. Um, you know, I think if they chose to go a different route, someone less obvious, maybe a Brandon Carlo, maybe a Charlie Coyle, but I can't really see it being other than Mar anyone other than Marchand. Uh, in my opinion, that's just kind of what it feels like. But, you know, I think with the leadership with this team being so strong that it's been over the last you know, 20 years or so, I think it kind of doesn't matter who the captain is. Like, I think the guys are, are it's a good room. It's a good group of guys, even with the departures of Krejci and Bergeron. And so I think, you know, it's kind of just a uh, arbitrary thing, the captain thing. Um, but I think just a thing to talk about uh, before training camp starts. But I think you know, worth paying attention to some of these, you know, younger guys that I think are going to get opportunities to really kind of show what they can do. You know, Johnny Beecher, uh, Georgie Merkulov, I think two guys in particular that I think legitimately, if they have strong training camps, they could make the roster. Um, I think those two guys in particular um, have the best chance of making it. You know, Mason Lowry, maybe there's a chance, but I think specifically with him and Fabian Lysel, unless they are undeniable. They probably start the season in Providence. Uh, I'm curious to kind of ask our guest, you know, if he thinks either of those two guys get into any games during the season. 
you know, if there's injuries or they just light it up in the AHL. You know, I happen to believe that Lowry probably needs more time in the AHL because he only played, I think, about five or six games after his season at Ohio State ended last year. So, you know, I think in terms of the big club, it's, you know, seeing what James Van Reem's like, how he can do on, in top six, because I think you pretty much have an idea what your top six is going to look like. He's kind of the guy that's penciled in there. You know, I think a change of scenery, a guy who is really good on the power play, cleaning up, you know, stuff in front of the net. I'd be curious to see, you know, how he does. I think that has the potential to score 20 to 25 goals, and I think that would really help. Um, but then it's really just who wins those jobs in the bottom six. I really think it's anyone's game. You know, I think that, in my opinion, you probably can pe pencil in Trent Frederick and Milan Lucic, but other than that, I really don't think there's any job that's nailed down. You know, and I think the young guys, like I mentioned, Beecher, Beecher, Merkulov, uh, Lysel, uh, Mark McLaughlin, um, Danton Heine and Alex Chase on Patrick Brown, you know, some of the guys, Morgan Geeky, you know, some of the guys that you brought in this summer, you know, I think all those guys I mentioned will be battling for spots, you know, in the bottom six. So it really could be anyone's game, but it'll be really interesting uh, to see during training camp. And then you got preseason games that start uh, next Sunday, the Bruins and the Rangers will open the preseason slate at the Garden, and then the Bruins will have games periodically until uh, the season opener on October 11th. So um, obviously this is a podcast, so I can't exactly show you the <laughs> new uniforms that the Bruins unveiled, um, and I don't really feel like I want to describe them, but new uniforms did get unveiled for the centennial uh, season. So these three jerseys will be worn during the season. There is a home, away, and alternate. I think they look pretty cool. I think trying to blend the, you know, old with the new. I think the alternate ones are really, really cool. Uh, but definitely you're going to see a lot of these being worn this season. Um, so I think the, uh, Alternate jersey is expected to be worn for uh, certain original six matchups this season. So, you know, exciting to see the jerseys. I think always exciting about the uh, Centennial team that got selected, the top 100 Bruins players. You know, I think definitely some small debates about guys that got left off. But, you know, I think just a really cool uh, celebration for the team. You know, me personally, and this is just me, I kind of wish the Bruins were hosting the All-Star game this year. But, you know, I think that, that the stuff that they're doing is enough, which will be really, really neat, you know, honoring the 100 years of the team. And so I think uh, it just will be, will be a fun season. And I think, and we'll talk about this with our guest, I think this is going to be a good team this year. I really do think that, sure, there are a lot of questions, but you got a really good, solid foundation with your defense and your goaltending. There's really 
no questions in my opinion. No, no, like big questions. Seriously, I think for the defense and the goaltending, you know, obviously it'll be interesting to see how someone like Shattenkirk, you know, assimilates himself to the Bruins. But you have a pretty good idea of the type of player that he is. Um, but I think with your goaltending with Olmark and Swainman, there's not really much to be concerned about with those two guys. So, you know, we're looking forward to this, or I am looking forward to this Bruins season because I think there's not a lot of people that are uh, taking them seriously. Um, and I think that that's a mistake, but we'll talk more Bruins with our guest later this week or actually tomorrow. So really looking forward to that uh, for you guys. So going to move on, talk a little bit about the Revolution, who have had another, or they are another Boston team, New England team, that's had a bit of a shakeup with the, uh, with the team. You know, it's, I think, disappointing that we kind of have no idea still about Bruce Arena's, you know, the investigation to, you know, the resignation and all that. It just is kind of a, a mess. You know, there's really no other way to put it. Um, so he obviously resigned when we spoke last week. And, you know, I think some issues with the coaching staff and a couple coaches that got let go in the Revolution 2 head coach is now the coach of the big club. Revolution 2 is basically like the equivalent of uh, like Providence Bruins for, for, for hockey and like AAA for, for baseball. I think it's pretty much that equivalent. So... Uh, Clint P is the new coach, and the Revs uh, lost to Colorado on Saturday night, two to one. Uh, really, just bad, pretty bad optics uh, for this team to go through the shakeup and then lose to uh, one of the worst teams in the league. So, you know, really kind of a tough last couple weeks for this team, and I think you know the team doing their best to stay focused and you know, focus on the task at hand, but it, I mean, it has to be something that's on players' minds, you know, as we kind of hurdle toward the end of the regular season and into the playoffs, and it's kind of just really just trash timing that this is a team that's seemed to be humming along toward the end of the regular season, and then this happens, and, you know, it's all kind of come crashing down, and there's really not a whole lot of answers. You know, and I don't even think the players know a whole lot. And it's kind of eerily similar to what happened with uh, the Celtics and Ime Udoka a year ago. You know, it's very similar that I think the players don't know a whole lot. We as fans obviously don't know a whole lot. Um, and so it's just kind of hard to know. And you really all you have is watching the team on the field and how they perform. And, you know, they've kind of not performed well over the last couple of weeks with a couple of ties, you know, road games that have been challenging and you know, the road trip will continue this weekend. Revs are in Chicago, um, 8.30 start Saturday night and, you know, kind of another weaker team. But, you know, I think with this team, all they can, all they can do really is push on and try to focus on these games. You know, it's, I, I wish it was more, it wasn't as simple as that, but that's really all it is. You know, they really have to just buckle down and, you know, move past it. That's really all they can do. You know, it's not 
something that they can really perseverate on because, you know, <laughs> again, there's six games left in the regular season. You know, this is a team that's going to be in the playoffs, you know, and they need to have their focus, you know, where it needs to be. And so, you know, as far as the play on the field, I don't think that it's all that bad necessarily. You know, I think with, you know, defensive breakdowns and, you know, it just was, I think on the the Rapids' second goal on Saturday, it just was a great individual effort. And, you know, I think it just is kind of just how the game goes. You know, Omar Gonzalez getting a goal um, in the last couple of minutes. Rev's unable to get the equalizer. But, you know, I, I think it's it's hard to know whether this is just a continuation of, the team just going through some struggles late in the season, or is it something bigger? You know, obviously the timing stinks because it's like the timing of this investigation on all this is easy to point to, to be like, oh, okay, this is why they're not doing very well. But, you know, again, I think it's, it's hard to know how much it's affecting the team uh, because I think the players are saying, okay, we are trying to move on and stay focused, but, you know, when you're losing games like this, it's like fair to be concerned about, okay, what's really going on? You know, is everything okay? And so, you know, I think for the Revs trying to get the best combinations that they can before the end of the regular season, you know, Vrioni, Shankalai getting into some games, you know, I think it's important for the Revs to get Vasilik into the team and into some games before the playoffs. He's the new uh, goaltender that's coming over. Earl Edwards has played the last couple of games, but I think for this team, it's kind of just doing what they can to get ready for the postseason. Um, you know, I think with with the kind of recent slide they've been on, they were passed for second place in the in the Eastern Conference. They're now third place, but just one point ahead of fourth place Philadelphia. So the Revs, I think, really have to be able to kind of get back on the right foot and kind of get right um, going into these final games. You know, Revs are six games left, three on the road. Revs will fin finish their uh, road trip in Chicago this weekend. And then they will return home for two games against Charlotte and Columbus before the final three games of the regular season. Regular season ends October 21st with a home game against the Philadelphia Union. So I think that's going to do it for the Revs. Uh, we're going to get to a little Celtics. There's actually not much uh, to report on training camp. I think it'll start soon. Uh, Celtics did sign the other day Nimas Keta, I think is how you say it, pronounce his name, um, to a two-way contract. He is their third player on a two-way. Um, the Celtics have one final roster spot still to fill in. Um, so he is a native of Portugal, entering his third NBA season. Kings drafted him in the second round out of Utah State in 2021. Uh, Seven-footer, uh, good rebounder, solid block. Blot shocker. <laughs> Solid shot blocker. Um, last season with the G League Kings, 
20 games, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 2 blocks, 70% shooting twos. Um, so kind of just give the Celtics some depth at the big spot. Um, and obviously with these two-way contracts, they play the majority of the season in Maine, but then have a I think certain amount of days that they can spend in Boston. Um, so obviously I think a developmental player probably don't get to see him um, in many Celtics games, you know, unless there's garbage time and things like that. So the Celtics now um, have 19 players on their offseason roster. They need two more uh, before the start of training camp. And then obviously the Celtics have their final 15th spot that is open. So that's really open for any player that the Celtics maybe look at signing uh, once it gets closer to training camp. Uh, Blake Griffin, you know, I think likely not back. So Celtics will need to fill that spot. Celtics had earlier TJ Warren, Lamar Stevens in for workouts um, earlier this offseason. So they could be potential names. Um, but really kind of just wait and see who's fills in that end of the bench spot. I think that obviously, you know, whoever they bring in for that final spot likely isn't going to play a lot and may not have much of an impact, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, and the Celtics obviously will have these two-way guys in at training camp, plus the all the guys under contract. So one more roster spot for the Celtics to fill out. Um, and I think... We're probably going to move on here, talk about the rest of the NFL. I circled back to week two around the NFL. A couple notes from yesterday. Uh, Joe Burrow appearing to tweak his calf injury that he suffered in training camp. Uh, Bengals drop their second straight game to open the season. They are 0-2 after their loss to the Ravens yesterday. The Giants with a late comeback to beat the Cardinals. Uh, St. Quan Barkley was injured in this game, so a win that uh, kind of marred by injury. Um, Anthony Richardson was placed in concussion protocol for the Colts after scoring a couple touchdowns for the Colts yesterday in their in their win over the Texans. Um, and so we're going to take a look at scores from uh, around the league. So obviously Thursday night, the Eagles able to outlast the Vikings as they built a big second-half lead. We're able to hang on 34-28, the final score. Uh, DeAndre Swift, 175 yards and a touchdown in this game. So the Eagles winning their home opener over Minnesota. Then some games earlier on Sunday, the Falcons with a late comeback uh, to beat the Packers 25-24, game-winning field goal in the last minute. Falcons able to hang on. Bijan Robinson, 124 yards rushing. Drake London, 67 yards and a touchdown. So the Falcons get their second win of the season and improve to 2-0. and oh. The Bills and Josh Allen bounce back against the Raiders. 38 to 10, three touchdown passes for Josh Allen, 123 yards on the ground for James Cook. Uh, the Ravens, previously mentioned the Bengals, uh, Ravens beat the Bengals for their second win of the season, 
27-24 the final. Lamar Jackson, 237 yards, two touchdowns in the Ravens' win. So they the uh, Bengals dropped to 0-2, as you mentioned. A couple overtime games. The Seahawks beating the Lions in Detroit, 37-31. A couple touchdown receptions for Tyler Lockett, including the game winner, Geno Smith. 328 yards through the air as the Seahawks even their record at 1-1. One one. The Titans and old friend Nick Folk beat the Chargers 27-24. Folk with a game-winning kick in overtime. The Titans even their record. Chargers dropped to 0-2. And the Buccaneers, probably the most surprising 2-0 team um, in the league. They beat the Bears 27-17. Mike Evans, 171 yards and a touchdown. Baker Mayfield's had a pretty good start to this season. 317 yards and a touchdown for the Bucks. So they improved to 2-0. Bears are 0-2. The Chiefs bounce back from losing the home opener, or losing a season opener. They beat the Jags 17-9. Uh, not too much offense in this game, but Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs found a way to get it done. 305 yards and two touchdowns for Mahomes. Travis Kelsey caught a touchdown in his first game of the season. Chris Jones also uh, returned to the Chiefs lineup in this game and had a couple of sacks. And the Colts, as we mentioned, beating the Texans 31-20. Anthony Richardson, a couple rushing touchdowns. C.J. Stroud, 384 yards and two touchdowns in the loss for the Texans, who fall to 0-2. Colts are 1-1. 49ers hang on in a surprising game that was actually kind of close. Niners beat the Rams 30-23. Good game for Christian McCaffrey, 116 yards and a touchdown. Costly interception for Matthew Stafford with 307 yards but at two picks. And the 49ers beat the Rams. Giants, as we mentioned, beating the Cardinals with a fourth-quarter comeback, 31-28. The final, Daniel Jones, 321 yards and two touchdowns in the win. Cardinals fall to 0-2. Giants are 1-1. The Cowboys destroying the Jets 30-10. This was not close. And the Cowboys get their second blowout win of the season, 30-10, the final score. Um, and then a pretty wild, wild game in Denver. The Commanders beating the Broncos 35-33. Uh, commanders down 21 to 3 come all the way back to take the lead and one of the craziest finishes i've seen to a game uh, in a while commanders up 35 27 russell wilson with a hail mary pass that is caught in the end zone for a touchdown broncos go for two can't get it and the commanders escape with a win they're 2-0 broncos fall 2-0-2 so couple of Monday Night Football games tonight at 7.15 on ESPN. The Saints and the Panthers. And then at 8.15 on ABC, the Browns and the Steelers. So a couple Monday Night games this week. And I also think that there are a couple Monday Night games next week as well. But obviously, we will talk about all those games next Tuesday, most likely, when I uh, return from... Uh, vacation, if you want to call it that. So, I think that's it. We're going to move on to some baseball. The Angels have shut down Shohei Otani for the season. A couple guys being shut down for the season. Corey Kluber 
as you mentioned, uh, for the Red Sox. So the Orioles and the Rays clinching playoff berths yesterday with the Rangers' loss. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays have completed a deal for a new stadium in St. Petersburg. And we'll take a look at the standings and how things look. Matt, uh, Matt Olson, excuse me, set the uh, Braves single-season record with his 52nd home run the other night. So take a look at the standings. Olson is a uh, definitely a f one of the favorites for National League MVP. So in the American League East, as you mentioned, Baltimore and Tampa both clinching playoff berths. The Orioles have a two-game lead over Tampa Bay at the moment for first place. The American League Central, the Twins with a seven-game lead over Cleveland. Houston in the West, a game-and-a-half lead over Texas, and two-and-a-half over Seattle. So things are still interesting down there in the AL West. The Braves, obviously, were the first team to clinch um, and have clinched their division in the National League East of 96-53. and 53. 15 games ahead of the Phillies. The Brewers taking control in the Central. Six and a half game lead over the Cubs. And then the Dodgers have also clinched their division and a playoff berth as well. A 13 and a half game lead over Arizona. They are 91 and 57. So taking a look at the wild card, things are interesting. In the American League, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Texas in the lead for the wild card spots with Seattle just a single game back. In the National League, it's still pretty crazy here. The uh, Phillies and the Diamondbacks with the first two positions, and then the Marlins and the Cubs tied uh, for that third spot, and then the Reds are a half game back, and the Giants are two games back. So things are still uh, very interesting in the National League. Things are still a lot to be decided out there with a couple teams very close. Be curious to see if we have any tiebreakers uh, that need to be played at the end of this season. So that's what it looks like. I think most game, most teams have about 12, 13, 14 games left. So we're getting pretty close to the end of the season. So we'll take a look at some NBA notes. The Lakers giving Jared Vanderbilt a four-year extension. So he returns to the Lakers. Markeith Morris re-signing with the Cavaliers. Taj Gibson re-signing with the Wizards. As um, training camps getting closer to opening up. I'm not actually sure the official date, but we are getting uh, closer. And then some NHL notes. Kind of a strange situation in Columbus as Mike Babcock was initially going to become the head coach of the uh, Blue Jackets, but then resigned. Um, kind of a weird situation. I don't really want to go into details, but um, I guess there was something about uh, looking through players' phones and it being an obvious invasion of privacy. It's kind of a weird situation um, because I think one of the Columbus players, you know, had said that it kind of wasn't that big a deal, but, you know, I'm not sure really kind of the whole story, but obviously the Blue Jackets will have a different coach this season. Uh, Keith Kincaid signing a two-way deal with the Devils was 
uh, former Bruins goaltender last season, played in one game um, and did get a win. So that's a, that's, a, that's a trivia question to answer in 20 years. You know, other than Olmark and Swayman, who is another, the other goalie that got a win for the Bruins during the record-setting season. Uh, Thomas Tomas Tatar also signing a uh, one-year deal with the Avalanche there. So, yeah, rookie prospects challenge. Uh, of, I think there are multiple, actually, prospect challenges that go on. Connor Bedard, the number one overall pick, a hat trick in one of those games earlier. So, yeah, we got some preseason games that actually will start this weekend. Bruins and Rangers will play at the Garden Saturday, uh, Sunday at 5 o'clock. Not sure if it's going to be televised, but I'm sure you can check that out if it is being televised. Um, so now, take a look at some college football notes. I'll take a look at the rankings. Um, yeah, I think I'll take a look at the rankings here. Um, Alabama falling out of the top 10 for the first time in eight years. And so they are currently number 13 in the country. Georgia and Michigan still number one and number two. Texas at number three, Florida State at number four, and then USC, Ohio State, Penn State, Washington, Notre Dame, and Oregon rounding out the top ten. Quite a few, quite a few games uh, this weekend. So, as I may have told you, my uh, younger brother goes to uh, Clemson, and actually I will be in attendance as Clemson plays uh, Florida State this Saturday at noon. Uh, very excited to uh, be in person to watch that game. I've not seen a in person, or I've not seen a uh, Division One college football game live, so this will be very interesting to watch. Uh, take a lot of uh, pictures for that. Some other games, uh, Deion Sanders in Colorado will face off against Oregon. It's a 3.30 start on ABC. A couple of other ranked games, UCLA and Utah, Mississippi, or yeah, Ole Miss and Alabama. Oregon State and Washington State, uh, Penn State and Iowa, and then the big one Saturday night, sixth-ranked Ohio State, ninth-ranked Notre Dame. So that will be an interesting game as well. So I think that's probably going to do it for us this week. I actually do have one more thing to get to before we uh, let you folks go. Uh, last week, we did uh, a birthday in Boston, birthdays in Boston sports. So today, uh, we're taking a look back in history. So on this date, September 18th, 2011, the Patriots uh, beat the, at the, at the time, San Diego Chargers 35-21 uh, to 21 in a Week 2 game. Tom Brady had three touchdown passes in this game for uh, 423 yards. And three touchdowns was 31 of 40. Probably one of the better games of his career. Uh, Patriots holding on in the second half, 35-21. The final score beating a, uh, a couple late rallies by the Chargers. And uh, who had a rushing touchdown in this game for the Patriots? Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis. Do you remember him? Um, had a rushing touchdown in this game that put it away in the final two minutes. 
So Patriots get their second win of the season. They would go on to appear, I think this is the year they appear in the Super Bowl against the Giants, I think losing the second time. But kind of an interesting look back in history. Patriots have actually played a number of games on September 18th over the last uh, decade or so. So I thought I would choose this game, thought it was appropriate. 2011 being the last year Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator. So kind of a cool moment in history there. So I think that that's going to do it uh, for me this week, or today, I should say. Uh, we'll have the guest Friday out for you folks tomorrow. Really looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, probably we'll be uh, back with you folks recording um, next Tuesday. But until then, enjoy the guest Friday tomorrow. That will be out on Tuesday and have a great uh, week. And we'll talk to you next time.